Good morning. Hey, uh, you may not know this, but this is actually the first Sunday that we're doing live streaming from our Taze Valley campus. Typically, we do it from <laughs> typically we do it from just our St. Albans campus, but we started to do it from here. And so, I just want to welcome mom and dad because you might be the only ones watching. So, good to see you. <laughs> hey, uh, last week I was I was driving. We live out Bills Creek in Winfield, so I was driving down Win, uh, Bills Creek right after I had dropped Avery off at school. And after I dropped her off, I started going. And you know, you, you kind of drive sometimes mindlessly. You're just kind of not paying as much attention as you should. And so I'm mindlessly driving when all of a sudden this buck came out right into the road, right as I was coming through. And so I, I swerved and I missed it, you know. Uh, but from that point on, I, I was awake. I was aware. For my rest of the drive-in, I was aware of what was going on. Now, some of you, you're not going to be aware of anything else in my sermon to, until you know how big was the buck, how big was its rack, how many points did it have. I don't know. I was trying not to die. I didn't get a chance to count how many points I had. I'm sorry. So that's my answer for you. Um, in college, I had, a, I had a weekend ministry, so I went to college at Kentucky Christian University in Grayson. And... Uh, I had a weekend ministry up near Florence, Kentucky. And so every weekend, I would drive two hours and 15 minutes up the AA highway to go to, it's called Burlington, Kentucky, to this church up there. And uh, if you've ever been up the AA highway, how many of you have been up the AA highway? Oh my goodness, it's just boring, isn't it, right? It's just, it's just long, it, there's no like landmarks and stuff, it's only 55 miles per hour, I, I hated it. So I drive this every weekend. Well, one Saturday morning, I was making my way up the AA highway, and it was one of those warm Saturday mornings, I had had a busy week of classes, I was tired, and as I was driving, I started to, to drift to sleep. And the last thing I remember, or the thing I remember when I awakened, was I was driving 75 miles per hour down a hill and around a curve. <laughs> Luckily, I was okay, but I got to tell you, it scared me. And I quickly went from being sleepy to being on high alert and having wet pants. Um, but I was awake from that point on. Well, over the past couple of weeks, we've been in a series called Spiritual Warfare. And in this series, hopefully, it's been a bit of a wake-up call to the fact that we are in the midst of a cosmic spiritual battle. I think for many of us, we've kind of just been cruising through life, sort of falling asleep at the wheel and headed into dangerous territory. And it's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to be alert. So in week one of this series, we answered two questions. The questions are, who is my enemy? Who is the enemy? And what are his tactics? And so we said that our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is, is Satan and his demonic forces. And we said that his main tactics are to destroy us, to divide us, and to distract us. Do you think those tactics are working? Do we see destruction? Do we see division? Do we get distracted? He's very good at what he does, isn't he? Last week we tackled two more questions in regard to the spiritual battle. We said, what are our weapons and how do we use them? And so we talked about one of our weapons being this ability that we have to choose, this freedom that we have to choose, to, to, to hear this freedom we have to hear the gospel and decide whether or not to follow Jesus. 
But for those of us who have made that decision to follow Jesus, then we are to be equipped with the full armor of God. And we went over this armor last week. Now there's the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. And in case you're wondering what that looks like, I want to just let you see through this video. Go ahead. Everybody's on a different path, but, but some people are just a little, you know, further along. I get up every morning and I put on the full armor of God, just like the Apostle Paul tells us to do in Ephesians 6. Of course, it's made a few things more difficult. I've had to reevaluate some things, like how I get in my car, how I drink my morning coffee, but, but I've come up with solutions for most of these things. It's not for everybody. My wife's not really into it. Hey, can you hear me? Dad, I need, I need you to talk just a little bit louder. Sometimes I hear people make fun of me behind my back, but I just turn the other cheek, you know? I mean, who's gonna be laughing when the day of evil comes? Not the guy in the suit of armor, you know what I mean? I'm working on my moves. Gotta stay sharp, you know? I've got my breastplate of righteousness. I've got my helmet of salvation. It doesn't get any more secure than when you're wearing the helmet of salvation. Shoot! I've got my feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, the belt of truth. I got the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I've got my shield of faith. I don't know why more people haven't done this yet, but they will, they'll learn. All right, maybe that's not what we're talking about with the armor of God. So if you missed last week, go back and listen to the message and discover what this full armor of God really is about. But, but we, we need to wear it. We need to suit up so we can defend ourselves against deception and compromise, complacency and isolation and discouragement. And then we need to strike back at the devil with the sword of the spirit, the word of God. But don't forget this main weapon we talked about last week, and that is prayer. Prayer. Remember what Jesus told the, the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane? He didn't tell them to sharpen their swords or to lay out their ammo. He said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So today we're, we're wrapping up this series on spiritual warfare by talking about this, this topic of watching, about staying alert. And to do that, we're going to tackle two more questions. The first question we want to address this morning is, where is the devil attacking us? So where, where do we need to be most watchful? Where do we need to be most alert? Again, Jesus said to watch and pray. Ephesians 6 is really the, the premier passage about spiritual warfare and understanding it. And it's this chapter that we've been looking at quite a bit in this series. Paul says this in verse 18. He says, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. He says, be alert. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5.8, be alert and of sober mind. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. 
You ever wonder if when Peter was writing this, he was thinking about how he was caught off guard, how he was not alert, and he was caught off guard by the devil's schemes, how, how he wasn't ready, how he let his guard down and he was vulnerable as the devil preyed on him, and then he denied Jesus three times. Well, in this passage, Peter pictures the devil like a roaring lion. And we talked about this last week, that the cross of Christ, it kind of put the devil on a chain. And so this lion, the devil, is, is chained up, anxiously waiting for someone to venture in, even an inch, into his territory. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us not to let the devil have a foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold in your life. Why? Because we give the devil a little bit, even an inch, he's going to want to take a mile. You remember that kid's book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie, right? He's going to want, he's going to want more. If you, if, you, if you give a lion, the devil, a part of you, he's going to go after all of you. He, he won't be satisfied until you are taken down. So using the power of deception and discouragement, the devil has been very, very successful in getting us to wander into his sphere of influence. And he'll use anything and anything to get us in, to draw us in. Pornography, alcohol, drugs, music, social media, even things that are good. He'll use things to draw us in like sports or our jobs or our schedules. And he'll prey on us using our pride, our desires, our doubts, our minds, our politics. It is an organized effort of mass demonic deception to take us down, to devour us. That's why Ephesians 6.12 reminds us that this fight is, is not against uh, flesh and blood. It's against demonic rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. Now, leading up to Ephesians chapter 6, the book of Ephesians really points out four front lines of consistent contact with our enemy. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at those four areas that the devil tries to attack us in, in this spiritual warfare and, and that way we can stay alert. We can be a little bit more ready. And so the first front line of attack is in the mind. Make no mistake about it. Your mind is a battlefront. And love is a battlefield, right? Heartache to heartache, we stand... I'm kidding. That's just an 80s, 80s song. Your mind is a battlefront. I just wanted to make sure you were listening. <laughs> You're welcome, Betsy. All right. <laughs> Uh, it, you know, we, we see this throughout the book of Ephesians, though, this battle for the mind. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In chapter 2, he reminds the people of Ephesus of their destiny before they chose and were chosen for salvation. He writes, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Your mind wandered into the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. In chapter 3, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, including in your mind. In chapter 4, he gets a little more blatant about it. He reminds us that living under the influence of the devil means living in futility. And he writes, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. But, but that's not how soldiers of God are to live. Instead, we are to, in verse 23, we are to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 
And so your mind is a front line of attack by the devil. And he wants a foothold in your mind. He wants to remind you of your past forgiven sins. That's what he does. He's an accuser. He wants you to get, get, to get you to buy lies. He wants to get you to doubt God's love for you. Doubt that he has a purpose for you. Doubt that he can use you for his plans and purposes. He wants you to get, to get you to dwell on unhealthy thoughts and to be consumed with them. But don't give in to him. Don't buy his lies. Don't be deceived. Don't dwell on his thoughts for you. But instead, Scripture says that we are to be renewed, transformed, I'm sorry, by the renewing of our mind. And in another place in Scripture, it says to resist the devil and he will flee from you. So the mind is one place of attack. Another front line of attack that the devil uses is the home. The devil is going to attack your home. He's going to attack your children, your grandchildren. He's going to attack your marriage. The devil wants to destroy, as we said. And he wants to destroy your life starting in your home. He wants to do that so he can destroy your witness, destroy your credibility, destroy your testimony by getting into your home. If, if things are a mess at home, and I don't mean messy because you have toddlers and teens because your host house will always be messy with toddlers and teens, but if your house is a mess, spiritually speaking, then it's going to be a mess everywhere else. Your life is going to be a mess. And so we've got to be ready for his attacks, even in the home. I don't think it's by coincidence that before Paul launches into the, this passage about spiritual warfare and about putting on the full armor of God in chapter 6, that the previous chapter, chapter 5, ends with a section on instructions for Christian households. And addresses husbands and wives and how they're to treat one another. And how they're to exemplify Christ in their marriage. And then chapter 6, it opens up with instructions to children and to parents. And these instructions are intended to help us stay alert and prevent the devil from causing division even within our family. Your home, it is oftentimes ground zero for spiritual warfare. And so this week, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to be reading in Ephesians, but specifically go to Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21. This is a section about husbands and wives, and then it's going to go through and just continue to read through all of chapter 6. It's a great lead in into that spiritual warfare passage, but I want to challenge you to read that. So your home is another place of attack. Another front line of attack for the devil is your workplace. The devil is going to attack you at your workplace. So right before Paul goes into the full armor of God, Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, Paul addresses slaves and masters. And we can really take the principles of that instruction and really, for us, apply it to bosses and employees. And we can see how important it is to put Christ at the center of our defense on this battle line. I mean, think about your work. So, so much evil and apathy Laziness, gossip, greed. It can creep into our lives through our workplace if we are not careful. And then it will, it will permeate, permeate into our entire being from there. So your workplace is a line of attack. And the fourth front line of attack for the devil, it, it is the local church. The devil wants to attack the local church. Every Christ-centered, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching congregation in America and, and on the earth is under attack from the devil. Why? Because together we make up the church, capital C church, church universal, the, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. And we are soldiers of God. 
So the church consists of all those who have trusted and are trusting in Jesus for salvation, all who are responding in obedience to Christ and wear his name wherever they are. And so in every chapter of Ephesians, Paul magnifies the importance and the power of Christ in his church. Let's, let's go over some of them. In chapter 1, Jesus is exalted, it says in verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, by, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, under the feet of Jesus, and appointed Jesus to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. In other words, Jesus is the head of the church, and the church is his body. In chapter 2, the church is, is a place being built by Jesus, with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In chapter 3, the church is the channel through which God makes the gospel known to the world, and even to the devil and his demonic forces. We read in verse 10 that his intent, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to the eternal, his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In chapter 4, the church is the body of Christ at work, loving, preaching, and serving. In chapter 5, the church is the people who are striving to live above reproach. We read this in verse 3 of chapter 5. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. They're improper for his church. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And then in chapter 6, we get back to our main uh, text where, where Paul describes this fight and then he tells believe, the believers to be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. That is, the church. So why all of this talk about the church? Because the church, every local church, is on the front line of the battle. And therefore, that makes every Christian a soldier in this battle. So we touched on this a little bit last week when we were talking about the shield of faith, how it ex extinguishes the, the flaming arrows of the evil one. And we said that the shield really defends against isolation. So when Paul wrote about this armor, the shield that the soldiers used at that time consisted of two layers of wood, and they would be glued together. They would be covered with linen and hide, and then they would be bound with iron. Now, many soldiers would carry two uh, shields with them. One of them was a smaller shield, and this was used more in hand-to-hand -hand combat. But then the other shield was much larger. And this is really the shield that, that Paul is talking about when he says to have the shield of faith. And this larger shield was to be used with their fellow soldiers. So the soldiers would, would come together side by side and they would take their shields and they would form a wall of shields. There were strategically placed hooks on these shields with which they could hook the other shields together with them. And this would be highly, highly effective as they moved forward in battle while arrows would, were being shot at them. But it would take all of these soldiers grouping together to make this work. An isolated soldier would become an easy target, an easy victim of the enemy. And the same is true in the spiritual battle that we are in. If the devil can isolate us, if the, if the devil can keep us unaccountable in our thoughts and in our actions, isolated in our suffering, 
He can wound us deeply. And I got to tell you, this is one of the things that I worry about most with COVID. I think we are becoming very, very isolated. And the devil is looking to take us down. We need a, a faith family, a community of faith called the church to stand firm, to stand together against the devil's schemes. Putting on the full armor of God and maybe our masks, we need to come together for each other. A lot of Christians, they just want to fight this battle on their own without being connected to a local church. But that is, that is never what it was supposed to be like. We are in this together. We are to be on high alert. But let's be honest, there are going to be times where we, we unintentionally drop our defenses. When we fall down, but we can stay protected with a faith family fighting side by side with us. You know, the shields that they used were actually large enough that you could cover yourself with two-thirds of it and cover and use the, the other third to partially cover someone else. So if you have one person holding up their shield and you have another down and you have another person with their shield up, the one who is down is still protected. And we need that. We need the fellowship of other believers. We need our, our faith family fighting beside us and even protecting us at times. So start worshiping, giving, serving, praying with, and sharing the gospel through the fellowship of a local church. The second question we want to consider today is this. Why? Why, why should we stay alert? Why is it important to stay alert? Like if we've already chosen our side, if we're safe behind the Savior, if we know what the devil's fate is and it's eternal torment, then why do we need to stay alert? Well, let me give you three simple reasons. The first is because others have fallen. Because other people have fallen. And some of them, let's be honest, some of them were probably more spiritual than we are. And they fell. It seems like about every week we hear of another Christian leader caught up in immorality or is, who has simply given up on their faith, stopped believing in the Bible, is now an atheist or a skeptic. I just read just this week of another high-profile, what we might call celebrity pastor who is caught in marital infidelity and has fallen. He was fired. And it is another reminder that the devil wants to attack us in our homes because he can do great damage from there. These failures, they do great damage to the witness of Christ and to the body of Christ. But you know what? This isn't anything new. Have you ever heard of a guy named Demas? In Colossians 4.14, a guy named Demas is, is mentioned with Luke in, in sending greetings with Paul to the believers at the church in Colossae. In Philemon 1.24, Demas is mentioned again with Luke, Mark, and Aristarchus in sending greetings to Philemon. But then by the, near the end of Paul's life, his writings in 2 Timothy 4.10, we read about this, this unfortunate situation with Demas. Paul says to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now we don't know all of the details of why Demas had deserted Paul, but we do know that it had to do with something about the lure of the world, Right? And we don't know. We don't know if he ever came back to the faith. But here we have someone who worked hand in hand with the greatest missionary preacher of all time in Paul. Someone 
who is a part of the passion and purpose of God in sharing the gospel, someone who no doubt showed great promise in ministry, and somewhere along the line, somewhere along the way, he was done. He threw in the towel and he was lured back to the world. Paul writes about two leading men in the church at Ephesus, two leaders in the church who fell. Listen to what he said to Timothy about them in 1 Timothy 1. He said, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and good conscience, which some have rejected, and so have suffered shipwreck in regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Those are pretty harsh words, right? Paul's saying he's handing them over to Satan. What does that mean? Well, it probably means that they were kicked out of the fellowship of the church and they were then put back into the territory of Satan. We, we, we might call this church discipline or you might have heard the term excommunication. Now, the intent is always supposed to be out of love. If this were to ever happen, the intent is out of love. The intent is that these people would come to repentance, to come back to Christ, that they would miss the fellowship of the believers, that they would see their wrongdoing, and that they would repent. But evidently, these guys were persisting in some sort of false teaching or some lifestyle that was not reflective of Christ and was dangerous to the body of Christ, and they were unrepentant. They would not change after being confronted. And so Paul says that they had, they had suffered shipwreck in regard to the faith. Later in Revelation, John would carry a message to this same church in Ephesus. And he would denounce them because they had forsaken their first love. They had forgotten their first love. They had forsaken Jesus. He would tell them, remember or to consider how far you have fallen. And then he would encourage them to repent. In 3 John, John mentions a man named Diotrephes, and he was a leader in the church, but his selfishness caused him to stumble. And we could talk about others. We could talk about Judas, or what I mentioned with Peter, or we could work our way through the Old Testament and look at all these leaders who fell. Or maybe, maybe as I'm talking about this, maybe your mind is thinking about people who used to be a part of the church. Maybe they sat next to you. Maybe they were your friends. And now they are living a life that is so far off from once they, what they once claimed about Christ. But I think you get the point, don't you? We all need to stay spiritually alert because others have let their guard down and they have fallen. So let's not be so arrogant to think that this couldn't happen to us. They succumb to what Paul called the traps of the devil. And some of them, praise God, they came back to the faith. They repented. But it did damage along the way. Others, we don't know about. Others, it seemed, never came back. Why else should we stay alert, though? Well, because our flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak. When Jesus told his disciples to watch and pray, he said, the spirit is willing the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, like we have good intentions, but the flesh is weak. And far too often, we want to overestimate our ability to resist temptation and underestimate the power of sin. We overestimate our ability to fight off temptation and we underestimate the power and the grip that sin has. But can I let you in on a little secret? And you're not going to like it. <laughs> When it comes to temptation, 
when it comes to the deceptive ways of the devil, you aren't as strong as you think you are. And neither am I. We are sinners. We are prone to wander. And the devil is powerful and deceptive. We can't trust our feelings. We can't trust our heart. Don't think, well, this will never happen to me because if we drop our guard, yes, it can. It can. I've seen it happen way too often. Theologian G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton, sorry, he said that our tendency as human beings is that instead of being confident in God and skeptical of ourselves, we are too often skeptical of God and confident in ourselves. We're so prideful. And this gets us in trouble every single time. Paul put it this way in, in a very, very transparent statement he made in Romans 7. This, again, this is probably the greatest missionary preacher ever. And he said this about himself. He said, I do not understand what I do. For what I, what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. He continued in verse 21. He said, so I find this law at work in me. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. He said, what a, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Several years ago, I, I uh, preached the funeral of someone I know that had um, passed away from an overdose of drugs. And he had, he had battled with addictions for a long, long time and would do good sometimes and then would fall again over and over. And uh, before I did his funeral, I was given the opportunity to look at his Bible. And I happened to open up his Bible to Romans chapter 7, this passage that I just read, and it was marked all over. Like you could just see this, this guy totally related with what Paul was saying here. And it changed my mind, by the way, about addictions or, you know, changed my perspective because you could tell this guy was like, I don't want to be doing this. Why do I continue to do in the things that I do when I don't want to do it? It's because our flesh is weak and we struggle and when Paul said, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death, this guy in his Bible wrote, only Jesus can rescue me. He knew he was weak. He couldn't do it on his own. He needed Jesus. The flesh is weak, guys. Let's not be, again, so arrogant to think that we can just handle this on our own. So finally, why, do, why should we stay alert? Because we have a persistent enemy. So in Daniel chapter 10, it's kind of a weird passage, but we read about this vision that Daniel had in which either a pre-incarnate Christ or an unnamed archangel, we're not really sure, but this, this either pre-incarnate Christ or archangel comes to Daniel in answer to his prayers. And Daniel gets this rare glimpse into the unseen spiritual realm. And it seems as though Daniel had been praying for a long time for understanding of God's plan for his people. And, and, and Christ, or this archangel, comes to Daniel and, and basically says, kind of in my own words, that he had been trying to come to Daniel, but he was delayed by the enemy. The enemy is referred to as the prince of the Persian, uh, Persian kingdom. And, and, and it goes on to say that it took the, help of Dan, or, uh, took the help of Michael, another archangel, to free him up so that he could come to Daniel and come to his aid. 
Again, this is a very strange passage. It's a passage that's difficult to understand, and maybe you're wondering, why am I even bringing this up? The reason I'm bringing it up is because it reveals some insight to us. It reminds us that this spiritual world is real, and that there's a real battle raging on. And you and I, we are in this fight, whether we realize it or not. In this battle, we are either soldiers in the Lord's army or we are victims of the devil's schemes. But make no mistake that the devil is on the prowl. He is a brilliant strategist and he is relentless. In Luke's account of the Last Supper, uh, he, knowing that, that Peter is going to be tempted to deny Jesus, uh, Jesus says to Simon Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So this metaphor of sifting implies the, the separating of what is desirable and what is undesirable. And here the thought is that, that Satan wants to prove that at least some of the disciples, they will fail under severe testing. They'll be separated, right? And so he's going to go after them. Because what's that going to do? It's going to damage the body of Christ. It's going to hurt the witness of Christ. The devil is persistent. He's going to come at us. He wants to take us down. He is our enemy. He is an adversary of God. He knows his destination and he wants to take as many people down with him as possible. And as we talk about this, all this seems really kind of scary, doesn't it? It kind of feels hopeless and helpless because the devil is powerful and we see so many people and nations falling for his deception and we know in our flesh, if we're being honest with ourselves, that we're weak and we've gone down lots of times too. But I want us to, to close out this series with some hope. <laughs> to close with this verse from 1 John 4.4. 4. It says this, You dear children are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Can we read this passage together? Let's read it out loud together. Here we go. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in this world. In this spiritual battle, for those of us, those of us who are, are followers of Christ, we, we may be weak on our own, but we're not fighting on our own. We are fighting with a greater power in us than our enemy has. We have the very spirit of Christ living in us. Don't neglect that. The spirit of the one who defeated death, defeated sin, defeated the grave is in us. And so we are not fighting for victory. That victory is already secured. Now we have confidence because we are fighting with victory. And that changes everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is so easy for us to look around this world and see the evil that is prevalent. Not only is it prevalent, but, but oftentimes it is even celebrated it's easy for us to get discouraged and grow hopeless. And then we look at our lives and it doesn't get any better because we look in the mirror 
And we know that, that apart from you, we are weak, and we fall. We look at our past and we go, the devil got me there. The devil got me there. I've fallen again and again and again, and I'm so weak. And again, we can feel so helpless in thinking that we've got this battle that is raging on and we have nothing to offer. We are too weak on our own. But God, I thank you that we can read your word. We can jump ahead to the end. And we know what the ending is. That you are victorious. That though it sometimes feels like evil is defeating good, we know that that is not the case. That you will rule and reign supreme and sovereign like you do now. But you will defeat the enemy and it won't even be close. And so God, we are not fighting in our own power. Rather, we have the spirit of Christ living inside of us. So I pray that he would become greater in us. We would become less. The power of your spirit would take hold of us. That we would be able to stay alert and be ready for the devil's schemes, that we wouldn't buy into his lies, that we wouldn't be put down by his accusations, but we would remember that we are your children, created in you to do good works. We are your workmanship, we are your prized creation, and that you love us, and though we feel unworthy and we are unworthy, you loved us so much that you gave your one and only son to die for us. And when Jesus died, it, it did. It looked so hopeless for those on that Friday seeing what had happened. But then Sunday came. And we got to see a risen Savior. And that Savior who defeated death, sin, and the grave gives his spirit to live in us. So God, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be ready, we would be alert, and we would be soldiers in your army. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this morning, we want to kind of wrap up this series and remind you that we have this incredible freedom to decide because God loves us so much, he will not force himself on us. He gives us the freedom to choose a side. But remaining neutral is choosing a side. So we want to give you the opportunity this morning, if you've not chosen a side, to choose a side, to choose Jesus. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, if you've never trusted in the work that he did on your behalf, if you've never confessed him as Lord, repented of your sin and been baptized, we want to give you the opportunity to do that today, to choose your side, to choose Jesus. I'm going to be up here to your right as we sing this last song. And I would love to help you in that decision to choose Jesus. Or I would love to be able to have the opportunity to pray with you if that's what you need. So again, I'll be up here to your right as we sing this song. Will you stand and sing with us?